Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Chickity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How the hell are you doing? I'm Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is your weekly examination of all things Metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, This week brought to you by Black Sabbath, the end tour. Now it ends the final tour by the greatest metal band of all time, Black Sabbath. Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, uh, Geezer Butler. Close the final chapter in the final volume of the incredible Black Sabbath story. For full dates and ticket information, go to uh, LiveNation.com. Also brought to you by Creative Live. You want to learn how to record music? Check out our friends over at Creative Live. They've got classes on engineering, mixing, mastering, top pod. All kinds of different artists between the Bear to Me, uh, Periphery, Dillinger, creativelive.com slash audio to learn more and watch some free previews. Got a cool one coming up with Kurt Ballou, uh called Fix It in the Mix on November 24th that you might want to check out because a lot of you have recorded music and it might suck. <laughs> you got everybody. I said this last week. Everybody's got a uh, you know a weak link in the band, but I was thinking about it too. Like you know, after it's recorded, it's kind of nailed down. And when you ask the bassist or the drummer to do this one thing and they didn't do it the way you wanted it, they're not showing up for the mix session. But you are. Yeah. If you know how to fix it in the mix, mm-hmm. you can make it so that it sounds the way you wanted it to sound. And when later on they go, "Look how awesome I was," you can note in yourself, "Ha ha ha!" I get the final word. You played it the way I wanted you to play it and you didn't even know it and that's freaking great and and i should add that like blue is not just like showing you how to like sample stuff and replace stuff in, with samples and all that sort of thing he's this dude is not about that this dude's about like organic how to really do it and how to really yeah. do it right which is really cool well it's and it's more about you wind up figuring out how to get the right tone out of something that has a completely bad tone right how can you shape it a little bit with the software to make it work when you're mixing it down versus uh, capturing that tone originally because what you can be working with a lot of time is just hammered dog shit and how can you make hammered dog shit sound like a pile of gold well it's uh, somebody like Kurt Ballou can teach you out and that's sort of, <laughs> sort of the point if you're like I need to go into the, I need to go to a guitar center I need to buy that pedal before we go in the studio no you don't <laughs> you just well, need to fix well, it in the mix well you might I mean you might want to I mean don't purposely record hammered dog shit I mean don't, don't you know what I'm saying don't, don't go out seeking that but I mean Hey, so Dude, uh, it's th- a free class. It's a free class. Yeah. It's free. So this episode of the uh, Metal Sucks podcast, we are going to be speaking to none other, uh, none other than Chris Jericho. This is one of those uh, one of those interviews we've had kind of on deck for a while. And I got to say, I think I hate the guy because he's um, uh, he's he's good looking and he's confident and he you know has got all this stuff going for him and he knows it. That son of a bitch. <laughs> Tell you what. I don't know that we got the secret in the sauce, but we certainly no. tried to get the secret in the sauce. No, I wanted to find out, like, dude, what do I, what pill do I take? Is there, like, some kind of supplement? Yeah. They got some at GNC that I can pop that's going to make me awesome? Or what is it? What what, what does it take? Because, I mean... I'm a I'm I'm a blonde guy. I don't I don't have a tan like that motherfucker. How the hell is that possible? I don't know. But no. he, he accused me of being homosexual. And while you know, <laughs> what's that thing that everybody says? That, hey man, I'm on the spectrum, right? That's <laughs> I'm not gay, but you no, know, it's no, a spectrum. No, I'm that, sure. No, that's as, I, that's Asperger's, I, I, not 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 a homosexuality. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different thing. I think. 
<laughs> You're on the rainbow spectrum. Saying, butt, <laughs> butt play is okay with me. It's just, you know, who's giving it? That's the whole nother story. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that, like, I do, I, I appreciate how this guy looks and how he looks good at all times. And I want to know how he did it. I'm kind of bummed. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'm tried. I tried. I think That's we frustrated I, him a little bit with the, uh, with, with trying to find much. all the products that he used, you know? Yeah, but I think those are legitimate questions. I haven't heard anybody ask those questions That's true. before. That's uh, actually very, very true. So, yeah. We're also going to hear... I, um, I feel bad that he thinks that I'm gay. Well, <laughs> I don't feel bad. That's not a and bad Not that thing. there's anything wrong with it, yeah. but it's sort of like, I would rather that he would be comfortable enough in both his heterosexuality and, and you know, mine, for as is what it is, and everybody's groovy. You know what I'm saying? He did say he was fine with taking you out on a date, though, so I think it's okay. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, let you guys hit that up later on, and uh, you know, <laughs> may, maybe later on past the interview. We're also going to hear a new uh, song from, uh, from Good Tiger, one that uh, you suggested to us, uh, right? Godless. Yeah, I'm putting together my best of the year uh, list. You know, already. And uh, yeah, well, dude, it's coming up, man. It's coming up real soon. And and like the bummer is that, like, you know, it's it's like these albums. There's two albums that I heard just in the last three days. This is one, and the new Baroness, and those are top five for Mm. me. It's like kind of freaking me out. Like every other year, like all the good albums are sort of nestled in the middle of the year or so. But the fall time kind of like peters out. Not this year. Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it kind of depends. I think this year has kind of been consistent over the entire year with something at least once a month that's that's kind of, you know, getting me a little wood. You know, I mean, it, there's at least mm-hmm. a, something every month that I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's pretty fucking awesome. Like, uh, I forgot there's uh, something else we're going to have to play here in the future. I got the new Vision of Disorder, which is fucking amazing. So, you know, mm-hmm. like the, we're going to have to the, there's a lot of the stuff that I think is going to be in my top 10. It's going to be a fight, I think, uh, this year. Versus uh, many where it's just uh, straight up decided. But I think you might be right, though, about the Baroness. I don't know. We'll see. This good tiger thing was not even on my radar. Uh, and I'm kind of digging it right now. Yeah, it's it's got an ex-Tesseract dude and an ex-Faceless dude. And it's, yeah, it's pretty freaking great. So we'll, we'll hear one of their new songs. And uh, also we wanted to ch- uh, chat about this um, this article that Rhombus wrote. God damn it. What is he? It's always Rhombus. God damn it. You son of a bitch. Uh, about folk metal racists and sexists and stuff. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that because if uh, you've seen any pictures of the bearded ape any uh, time recently, uh, you might know that I'm kind of one of these Scandinavian looking um, dudes. I'm, I'm, I'm of that ilk, if you will. Yeah, and there his the, so the point is that he found an article that basically accused all folk metal of being racist and sexist. So we kind of wanted to peel that onion apart a little bit and, and dive in, which I thought was interesting. I want to dress up like a Viking. I just uh, I haven't I haven't had the balls to do the utila kilt yet. You know, I'm just not there yet. Based on our conversation with <laughs> with uh, the wrestler dude, I, I think I'm dressed as the wench at the moment. So <laughs> well, that goes without saying. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> let's get into our interview with Chris. Jericho on the Metal Sucks Podcast. What's up, dude? It's uh, Chuck and Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast, brother. Chris Jericho, how are you? Dude, first time I saw you, like, I'm not a wrestling fan. I apologize in advance, right? But the first time I saw you was on TV. I don't know what promotion, but you get up, you're on, like, on the side of the ring. I think you're supposed to be set up to lose, and you're just like, you know, the wrestling always brings out that, like, 
you know, uh, a minimum wage schlub to just get like, you know, knocked out in a few seconds and move on, right? To build the other guy. But you were like, I guess, supposed to be that schlub, but you, like, the star power just like came off you. Like, it was the way you were bigger than life, your mannerisms. It just, it was obvious right from the beginning that you were going to be more than that minimum wage schlub you know what i mean is that correct in my memory are you were you told right from the beginning you're gonna make it in wrestling and we're gonna make sure you make it i think your memory might be a little bit confused i was never a schlub but you're never also told you're gonna make it that's completely up to you it's like when you first start playing in a rock and roll band nobody ever sits down and goes we're gonna make sure you make it you have to have that charisma and that drive and that connection with the audience uh, and, and that's you know that's kind of where i created all of that was from rock and roll. I always wanted to be in a rock band, and I wanted to be a wrestler when I was a kid. And I spent my you know career building that up. And I always wanted to be kind of the ultimate rock and roll frontman in, in, in the wrestling ring, whether it be kind of influenced by Freddie Mercury or Paul Stanley or David Lee Roth or any of those great performers that had that charisma and that connection that he just wanted to, to be drawn to. So whether it's in wrestling or whether it's a Fozzy, you have the same... I have the same mindset, which is establishing the connection with, with the audience and making them want to pay to see you. And that's the most important thing. When was the first time that you actually felt that connection? I mean, was it right off the bat that you knew that it was like, yeah, bam. Well, I mean, I, can remember, I remember doing high school plays and when you get that reaction from, from the audience when you do something good and people like it or playing, you know, high school battle of the band and seeing a chick in the front row, you know, giving you googly eyes. All of that is established in the connection. Whether you're doing it for 50,000 people or for five, you get the same feeling of knowing that you're breaking through. You know you know when people are bored and you know when people are into it. And I think that, you know, if you have that kind of that entertainment gene inside of you, you're going you're gonna, to, it's about committing. You just commit to what you're doing. And if you do that and believe in what you're doing, people will follow you. If they, if they can smell that you're not legit, they won't. And whether, no matter what aspect or what level of performing in front of a live audience you have, you'll know right away if they're buying into what you're doing or not. Is that something that you develop or is that something that you have? Are there like two tricks that you used and boom, it was like an instant moment? I think think there's a little bit of both, you know what I mean? I think that you have to have that inside of you. It's, you know, it's the thing my dad used to say, if it was so damn easy, everybody would be doing it. So obviously it's something you have to be born with. It's, It's the show, it's the showman vibe, you know, the show business element, the vaudevillian performer. And then once you start doing it, then you start honing your craft and developing it. But I think it's something that has to be inside of you. Just like anything else. I mean, some people know how to play guitar. Some people don't. And the ones that know how to play guitar, if they really practice a lot and they really have something special, they'll get better and better and better and become Eddie Van Halen. If you can't play guitar, no matter how much you practice, you'll never get it. So I think it's the same with, with having that element of being a showman and having that charisma and being that larger-than-life character, I think it's something you just have inside of you at an early age. And you can see that. Look at all the great frontmen of all time. Look at them in high school or read about what they did when they were growing up. And there was always something special about them when it came to attracting other people. But what's weird about that is that you read about those people, you hear about them, and they have this sort of confidence and showmanship on stage, but then behind the scenes they can be sort of the reverse of that. Like it falls the other way. Did you ever have any crisis of that where it was like, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe it's not that, or, you know, like, I, I think, I think, you know, when you first start out, if you're having a bad streak or having a bad day or, you know, something happens, 
You have to believe in yourself. That's the most important thing. If you believe in yourself, it's the old cliche, but you can do anything you want. And I think once you kind of come to terms with that and know, it's, you know, especially in my case, I want to be in a rock band and I want to be a wrestler. You try telling people that in 1990 and you like, they look at you like, yeah, you know, you want to be a, a solar dweller in the circus or a mime or something. It's like, <laughs> what? So wanting to do one of those things is weird enough, but wanting to do both of them. I remember I read uh, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography that you know, when he was 14, he told all the people in his village that he wanted to be the biggest bodybuilder of all time and the, the biggest movie star in the, in the world. And they were like, can you just stick with, like, delivering ice cream? You know, you 14-year-old idiot. <laughs> so I had the same thing. You want to be a what? A wrestler? Oh, you're too small. And then you want to be in a rock and roll band, but you're a wrestler. You can't sing. So you always get told what you can't do. But if you know you can do it, after all, you just stop giving a shit. And don't listen to people that tell you you can't do something because... They're the ones that have usually failed at their own pursuits. So once you can you know, kind of come to terms with that, you just you, you get the confidence and you just make it happen. That absolutely is legit, at least in your case, because like those first two Fozzie albums, I didn't realize it, but they didn't they didn't click. And you know, you you had a, a structure for the first one with the the story of coming back from Japan and the whole thing, and then you tried it again and it still didn't work. But you kept on going. How many bands would have fallen apart by that point? You didn't. Well, I mean, that wasn't like a big idea of ours. That was like a, we were signed by Johnny Zazula, who, if you look back in the metal encyclopedia, signed Metallica and Anthrax and Raven and. He was a big mogul. He loved the idea of, you know, every band starts out playing covers, and he loved the idea of us putting out an album of covers. And that's what we did. And it was, okay, you know, that's what it was. But once we started playing, it's like, we're, we're a pretty good rock and roll band. You know, we've got some pros here. We've got some of the greatest songwriters and players that I know, uh, and even kind of underrated in the world. I mean, Rich Ward to this day is still probably the most underrated guitar player on the planet as far as songwriting goes as well, and now for producing. So we realized that, you know, we, we, we've got some good chemistry and we've got something special. Let's just, you know, continue to play it. I always compare us to Pantera. There's two versions of Pantera. There's the original Pantera, you know, Metal Magic and Power of the Night and the, the Judas Priest, Van Halen, Dawkins-type Pantera with the other singer. And then when they got Phil and Selmo and kind of changed their style, they became the, the legendary Pantera that we all know and love. And, kind of the same thing with Fozzie, not that we're Pantera, but there was the first version of Fozzie, and then there's kind of change in the entire mindset of what we're doing and the sound and becoming the Fozzie that, that we have, you know, that we know and have today. I mean, you've been successful doing your own music rather than the covers and, and the whole thing. I mean, that to me is just a, a humongous justification for continuing for on. Perseverance. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going for the covers, if you look at Fozzie as a pencil, the covers was like the lead tip, and then the rest of our career is the yellow part. I mean, that, that was so that was so long ago, from 2000 to 2002, and here we are, 2015, and five albums later, you know, toured with Flash this year, and getting ready to go tour with Kiss, and then getting ready to go headline our second European tour of the year that's already close to selling out. I mean, kind of all those old days, it was, yeah, it was a fun way to start, but this is the real thing now, and when you're touring with bands like that, you're not touring with them because they're nice guys. You know, we, there's a reason why we've been asked to do those shows, and a reason why we always tear the house down when we do. So, it's been it's been a cool journey, and it's very gratifying, and it's very it's been a lot of hard work. But we know what we're doing, and I think even even to this day, as crazy as it sounds, there's still some people that underestimate the band, but that's okay. 
we like low expectations. We've made a career off of low expectations. Because when we go on stage and blow everybody away, they're like, wow, we never expected that. Well, good, that's why we did it. You get to hang with Paul Stanley. I mean, what other dreams are left over? I mean... You've wrestled with everybody that you wanted to wrestle you with. You're playing with everybody you could possibly. Re- what what what's next? Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 just the constant building of the brand. You know, yeah, I've been touring with Kiss is great, and it's not going to be sitting in the front row going, "Oh my God, it's Paul Stanley and Kiss." I love Paul Stanley; he's a good friend of mine. But our mission is the same mission that they would have if they were playing with us. We're going to blow them the fuck off the stage. That's what I'm going there to do. And that's what we tried to do when we toured with Metallica. That's what we tried to do when we toured with Slash. And that's what we tried to do when we're headlining with two or three bands ahead of us. You have to go out there and play every show like it's Madison Square Garden, every show like it's your first show, every show like it's your last show. And that's kind of, and I think that's, that's what's next, is to continue doing this so that we get more offers. You know, if we go out there and, and kill it with Kiss, they'll offer us to come back, or someone else will offer us. So maybe all those people that we play in front of that don't know Fozzie will come see us when we're playing on our own. I think you constantly want to continue to grow and continue to build. And that's what our our, uh, our career has been like. You know, from album sales, each one has done better than the last, sold more than the last, charted higher than the last, got better reviews than the last. And when that starts drying up, then it's just time to rethink it. But as it, 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 it long as we continue to grow and continue to get bigger, then that's what's next. Continue to build yeah, how do you keep all this stuff like organized in your brain, man? You got you got so many irons in the fire. I mean, and that kind of confidence, you know, just from the music, obviously. But you know, you're still doing the wrestling thing. You're doing a. You're still doing other. You got the podcast going. You've got so many different things, and it seems like you're excelling at a lot of these things. How do you keep all that stuff? How many people work for you to keep the to keep the brand not, going? Not many, because I'm I'm pretty much a control freak. And obviously, I have managers and agents and stuff like that, but. Nobody books my schedule but me, and it, it may seem like a lot, and it is, but it's all very scheduled, very meticulously, so they don't really overlap. I mean, the podcast overlaps, but that's just, you know, a couple hours a week and just doing interviews, and I, I pile them up when I can. I have, like, 30 interviews in the can right now. Uh, I'm still getting more every week, depending on who's around. Uh, Fozzie and wrestling, you can't do them at the same time. That's why, for wrestling, I'll just do the art show here and there in between Fozzie tours. But if it's a Fozzie tour, there is no wrestling. And if it's full-time with the WWE, it's usually when Fozzie is working on a new record or when we're taking some time off. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of how you organize it. Because if you try and do everything at once, you're going to explode. And I, I don't, I don't want to be doing that. So just you have to enjoy everything that you're doing. And if you enjoy everything you're doing, then just put everything in the right place and make sure that, that it's all, like I said, one one, one big, long jigsaw puzzle. One piece leads to the next. Not everything all at once. Are you like an early riser? Um, depends. When I'm at home with my kids, yes, because they have school and they got to get up at 6.30. So I'm an early oh. riser. Every, every day that I'm home, I take my kids to school. When I'm on the road, uh, a lot of times you got to get up early for flights and things along those lines. So yes. But if if I have the opportunity to sleep in, I'll sleep in for sure. But if, if so there's you- work that needs to be done, then, I'll, then I have no problems getting up. How do you stay in shape? Yeah, well, that's, I, I got into yoga about five years ago, so I can just do yoga wherever I am. I just put the DVDs on or watch the MP3s and just kind of oh. do it that way. Um, you that, can't. You can't. You you can't end up looking as good as you do just plant just doing the yoga thing. I mean, if that I mean, were true, I, I'd tell my wife to stop doing yoga because I don't want her to end up with a body like yours. It is. Yeah, it's true, man. I mean, there's a, a, a friend of mine started his own yoga program, which was kind of. Uh, 
yoga combined with physiotherapy exercises and resistance training, and that's that's all, that's all basically I've been doing over the last four years. Wow, wow, that's actually kind of crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I guess when you get to a certain point, you, that's yoga is kind of a. It's not as much about building; it's more about maintaining, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just more of kind of freeing up your body and and, and and loosening it up. And of course, diet's important too. And you know, Fozzie shows as well when we're doing Fozzie stuff. That's probably more. Uh, more of an athletic performance than, than wrestling actually is. You know, a ninety-minute show at hundred miles an hour all the way all the way across the board. So, just keep an eye on all those things and and, and keep an eye on the ball and staying in shape. If you if anything else, if you want to do it, you can make it happen. Do you ever miss your long hair? Yeah, man. Sure, of course. I mean, I, I it, it's funny because I loved having long hair, and then Bruce Dickinson and James Hetfield cut their hair, and I was like, what? You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you cut it, and it's, like it's so much easier to manage. And now, rock, rock guys have short hair anyways. But whenever I look over to the right side of the stage and see Rich Ward thrashing his, like, waist-length long hair, I'm like, oh, I miss those days. But my hair was fucked up anyways, though, because if I was, like, I live in Florida, where the humidity is so bad, and when the humidity was bad, I had, like, really crazy Shirley Temple curls, like, really tight Sammy Hagar curls. And then I'd go to, like, San Diego or California or wherever where there's no humidity, and I'd look like Zach Wild. So it was really hard for me to have to... I liked the Zach Wild look. Didn't so much like the Sammy Hagar look. So depending on what part of the country was, I loved having the long hair. And the other part of the country was just doing a ponytail anyways. And if all you're going to do is wear your hair in a ponytail, why bother having it? You're one of those dudes that made me want to grow long because I'm a I'm a toehead too. So I was like, oh, dude, somebody with blonde hair that like doesn't look all creepy. Yeah, it was cool, man. I looked back in the '90s. Actually, me and Hetfield have had the same hairstyles pretty much our whole lives. Like, if you compare, you know, a 22 year old Hetfield to a 22 year old Jericho, then in our 30s, then in our 40s, we've got the exact same hair and the exact same progression. It's actually pretty funny. So you got to get the goatee going now, a little, a little bit of gray in there. I've had it. No. I've had it. Yeah, I, yeah I've had it. I've had it. I've had the, the, the Lemmy uh, beard. I've had it all, man. I change my face color every week. You do this thing now where, like, I see you in pictures and, like, like sometimes your hair is going off in a, in a funky direction, like you might have slept on it funny or whatnot, but it looks perfect, like, every time. And, and you know, like, I wake up in the morning and I, it just never looks right. Well, there you go, man. That's just years of uh, professional experience. Straightening irons. Hairspray, mousse, not mousse, uh, rough paste. There's a lot of work that goes into this, man. I'll tell you what. Rome wasn't <laughs> built in a day. I knew it was Jericho's hair. <laughs> no, what about the skin products? Not a lot of skin products going on. I mean, that's getting into a metrosexual category. If you want to talk about that sort of stuff, maybe get uh, get Lexi from, from Steel Panther. I'm sure he could tell you a whole <laughs> line of skin products to use. But, uh, I use this, I'm like, Neutrogena. <laughs> this like Neutrogena face lotion or whatnot. I've been doing it for like a year. I'm not any better looking than I was a year ago. We got to start earlier. Yeah, I mean, you, once again, it takes a while to repair all the damage that you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I was born with damage, though, man. Born with damage. <laughs> do you have your own teeth? Uh, yeah, I do. I do have my own teeth. Oh. I also have a, a really killer side project, which uh, we should talk about since we've been talking about facial cream and hair. But we should talk about blood division. We're that's, getting there. Uh, we're getting there. We're going to get there. Well, we're, we're running out of time, though, man. That's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> I'm, watching, I'm watching the clock. I'm watching the clock. Cool. So you got your own teeth. Blood divisions. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got my own teeth. Is that, the, the, the fans of heavy metal worldwide now know. are now satiated. Now they know. I have my own teeth, and I do my own hair. So the world 
is now uh, they can all they can all actually die now. Mm-hmm. But all your teeth are like absolutely straight. I mean, they're perfect teeth. It's good genetics, man. I guess I was just lucky. Oh, I, I'm pretty hot. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah, I'm I know much you a are. Model level hotness at this point. <laughs> I'm I'm looking for like I'm like okay so how am I supposed to be as confident and good at things as you are Chris Jericho and you're like hey, I'm born with it and then I'm like okay how do I look as good as you and you're like ah, I'm born with that too and it's ah oh, it's so frustrating yeah here. man I mean I, I think you're about ready to ask me on a date and the answer is yes <laughs> awesome you better watch out he's gonna take you up on it too so yeah. <laughs> He's got my number. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, so with blood division, so all right, are these guys like your neighbors, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to be recording on Tuesday. What are you doing?" What happened with that is I was a huge Nasty Savage fan when I was growing up, kind of an underrated Florida metal band. But growing up in Canada, for whatever reason, I, I stumbled onto them and had this little Nasty Savage kind of crew of my friends. So when I moved to Tampa, I got a chance to, to meet the guitar player David Austin. And good guy, and he was out of the business, and then called me, you know, a while later and said that he wanted to re-record a Nasty Savage song, and asked if I wanted to sing on it. And I was like, sure, that'd be great. So when I went to sing the track, they had this crazy new arrangement with all of the orchestration and big long intro. It was very epic. It was about nine minutes long with all these open spaces in between the verses. And I said, well, what are you going to do there? And he said, I'm getting some of my friends to play solos. Well, who are you getting? I'm getting, you know, Ralph from Ice Earth and Terry Butler and I do some Cavill books and do some, you know, Morbid Angel and all of the classic bands from that mid-80s Florida thrash metal, death metal scene for the Morris Sound area in Tampa. And I was like, this is huge, dude. I mean, this is more than, than you just recording this to put up on your Facebook page. Like, we need to do something with this. So I called Brian Slagle, uh, who is also a huge Nasty Savage band, Huge, huge Florida death metal, thrash metal scene, Sam. And he was like, this is great. It's like an all-star project, kind of like a hearing aid for, for 2015 with all of the, you know, the classic Florida guys. And that's kind of how it all started. It became kind of like, the, and then once we started telling people what we had, everyone started showing up and wanting to, uh, to be a part of it. So it kind of just grew organically from, from just this basic of ideas. So when Terry Butler's doing death and, and the whole Florida death metal scene is happening, all these guys are, are active, where are you in your life, in your progression? Were you wrestling at that point? No, dude, I was in high school. You know, you're talking about 1988, 89, 90, all those years. I was in high school listening to Nasty Savage. I don't like death metal. I'm not a Cookie Monster vocalist guy. But I always like Nasty Savage because Nasty Ronnie sang a lot like King Diamond. There'd be these real guttural verses and then these super high harmonies in the chorus and it didn't really make sense. But, and then the musicianship was so fucked up with tempo changes and weird parts and crazy harmonies going on. I just loved the whole band. But they were way ahead of their time. And that's probably why they never made it because nobody can understand what the fuck was going on. But I loved it. And that's why, like, Sure, okay, I knew of all those other bands we talked about, Vitrary and Death and Ice Earth. I tried them. I still have so much Death Death Bash there, but, you know, Dark Angel and Morbid Angel, Vitrary and that sort of thing. But I was the Master Savage band. That, that was my representation of the Florida medicine. But I knew all about it because I was a metal freak. So even though I didn't listen to those bands, I still knew of the whole scene of what was going on in Tampa at the time. And that's kind of how I became a, a, a big fan of, 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 of that band and of the whole concept what the Florida metal scene was. So you guys got this EP coming with the uh, with the cover of the morgue and then uh, the top of the bill. Is that the, is, is that going to be 
the end of it? Or are you guys going to do some performance? Because I know that Nasty Savage had done like a, didn't they do like a reunion or something like it about 10 years ago or something like that? And then yeah, they did, they did a reunion. I'm not sure if Davey's even involved with Nasty Savage anymore, but I don't think there's anything live. This is kind of more of a studio type thing. And all of the guys, like you said, I'm kind of the re, re, redo of, uh, of the morgue, which went from about a four minute song to like this nine minute tune, like I said, this epic tune. Yeah. And then Top of the Bill was just, let's do another song, and they suggested that. And I'd never even really heard it before. I'm a big fan of the Storms, but from the Matias Jabs era, I don't really know much from the Lily John era. But I listened to it, and that was a fun song to sing as well. So it would be cool to do a lot more, especially now that it's become kind of a thing. Because I knew that when people heard about it, there'd be interest, because of all the different names involved in it. And the fact that, like, you know, like you said, like, wow, the Storm of Medicine with all these bands, they're all playing together. It's kind of cool. And it was never meant to be, but when I got involved, you know, with my background and T.C. Barn and Mr. Man mentality, this is bigger than you think, Dave, let me take over. And that's kind of where, where it all came from. That's also why we decided to donate the proceeds to charity. Because now that it becomes a thing and we get all these world-class musicians, then the evil part of the music business, the business part comes in where it's like, well, who gets paid what? And what are the royalties? And what are the fees? And it's like, if we put this all up for charity... There are no fees. There are no royalties. It's just come down, have some fun, play some guitar, and then know you're doing something for a good cause. And I think that helped a lot as well because then there was no animosity between, you know, the contracts and... Yeah, the, the royalties and... and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. You know, all of us made the same amount of money for so just nothing. But we turned out with a pretty cool uh, pretty cool project. And it could be the start of something uh, something regular. So which uh, which charity is it, is it going to? It's the... Uh, you gotta check it's it out. It's the Chris Jericho home charity, right? <laughs> it's, 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 it's a humane society in, in Tennessee, but I can't remember what the name of it is. Okay. It's David's charity. I can't remember. Right on. It's, it's, it's all in the press release. Animals, <laughs> animals and stuff. It's for the animals, yes, yeah, for the dogs. <laughs> the dogs it's the dogs in Tennessee. It's the rock and something. It's the something. Warren County, Tennessee Humane Society. There we go. There you go. It's got a name to it, though. It's like Ro- the rock rock and Rescue. There you go. Rock and Rescue. Boom. In the, the Warren County uh, Humane Society. There you go. That's Rock awesome. Helping the puppies, yeah. man. That's a good thing. Yeah, man. Well, and that's something we can all agree on as well. Because, you know, everyone likes puppies. and like that. But I looked that up to David. That's why I didn't know exactly who it was. Because we should do this for charity. I said, you pick the charity. You decide on what it is. And, and it's cool. I kind of assumed, like, an executive producer role for it. Because, you know, Dave's out of the music business. And hasn't been in it since probably 92 or so. And, you know, back in those days probably even in these days as well, every band got ripped off. So, you know, I, I think when you come from that side of things, I was like, dude, let me take it over. I'll take it to Slago. You choose the charity. You yeah. pick the guys who are playing on it and let me do the rest. That's kind of how it works. It's interesting that, like, all right, so you're talking about how like, how challenging the music business is and doing stuff for charity. You're, like, in this spot where you could almost, um, you know, almost, like, be a Medici, right? And and make sure that these favorite musicians of yours actually had enough capital to do their art. Is that, I mean, is that sort of a, a function of what Fozzie does for you in some small way, at least in the beginning? I'm not sure I really understand. It's, it's, it's like, we were you bankrolling it like a Medici would have done back in the, was it, uh, 13th century, 14th century? I don't know that word. You're smarter than I, but the Medici. 
the Medici, oh, there were the family in Italy that would like, they, they, they gave all the money to Van Gogh, they gave money to all the best artists and, oh. and, and thinkers of that time. They would give them the money so that they could create the art that hundreds of years later we still can appreciate. Those guys would have never had that opportunity without the Medici family. Well, that, just, to, just to clarify, I've never spent a dime of my own money on Fozzie. It's, it's not a vanity project to Chris Jericho to go play Rockstar. We're a business, and every tour we do is self-contained. Every tour we do makes money within the Fozzie system. So um, that's like, you know, that's not an interest of mine. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is rock and roll. This is business for all of us. And I think that, you know, if you're going to take it seriously and want to play in a rock and roll band, it costs a lot of money. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. If you're not on the road, you're paying a lot of money. So it's not easy to do. And that's why we started just doing everything basically in-house. And that's why we do so many headlining tours rather than support. We get support offers all the time. All the time. In this moment, Stone Sour, all these different bands. Yeah, it's great. But you know what you get when you play with that? 150 bucks. What are you going to do with 150 bucks? You know what I mean? It doesn't even cover your bar tab if you're a true rock and roll band. So you got to do it <laughs> your own way and do it now. So be smart enough to, to, to do it where you're making money. And that's why I'm in Fozzie. I'm not doing it to, for any other reason other than it's my job. You, know, I have you don't make up for it at the merch booth? Well, you do. You can, but I mean, if, if, you're, if you're opening, there is no way you're going to be able to survive just on merch money. Yeah. Ask any band that's out there touring right now. What's the band? Motionless and White on the on the summer tour with Slipknot. I guarantee they're making five hundred bucks a show. Okay, great. How much does the bus cost? Fifteen hundred bucks a day plus mm. gas plus driver. All right, there you go. How much merch you gonna make? Well, Slipknot's on the fucking bill. Who's making the most money off Slipknot merch? Slipknot. And then Lama Jobs in the bill. And then Bull and the Valentine's in the bill. So your merch money might be good, but you got, like I said, it, it's not, you know, just because you're in a rock and roll band doesn't mean the money's going to be pouring down on top of you. It's the same reason why U2 is not touring stadiums anymore. You know why? Cost too much money. They weren't making enough. That's why they went yeah. and started doing arenas again. So it doesn't matter what level you are, this is a business. Why do you think Metallica doesn't tour the States very much? Because they make way more money to tour Europe. That's why they do it. So, it, unfortunately, when it boils down to it, we're all guys supporting our families and, and, and you know, making uh, making a business out of this. And that's kind of how you have to structure your uh, your band and, and your band business. So Medici, if he's still around, if there's like the 15th uh, generation of Medici, Tony Medici down in Brooklyn, New York, throw some money for obviously. <laughs> keep continuing art, please. <laughs> Uh, Chris, dude, it's been great talking to you, man. We appreciate it. Blood Divisions, uh, look for the EP. It's uh, it's de- definitely a cool cover in uh, the a Scorpion song that I didn't expect to hear a cover of. De- Me neither. I learned it. I learned it on the way to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, dude. man. All right, guys. But- remember, my teeth are real. My hair is. Awesome. Awesome. All that stuff. So there you go, man. Give me a call whenever you want to go on that date. I'll, I'll be ready.
subscribe to the Metal Sucks Podcast today. called Good Tiger. A Head Full of Moonlight is a new CD that, uh, or album or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Download that came out last week, man. That song is uh, we, Where Are the Birds? Uh, I think it's kind of pretty. It's beautiful. It is. Oh, it's, 
so good. It just hooks, 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 like all day long hooks. It's oh, so good. Another one of those really great debut albums. I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to show up on the top five, but it's pretty high. How many moment. backing tracks are on that motherfucker, dude? Whatever, bro. Uh, it's just <laughs> recorded and then recorded again. And yeah, do that live, man. Whatever. No, I think it's actually pretty stellar, honestly. I The first song that I think I heard from them was called Snake Oil, I think. was, And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's pretty good. But uh, this one definitely is a lot, uh, a lot better than that first song that they had put out. So yeah, it's good stuff. This is one of those albums that I, you know, it's like people like these bands keep on hearing the Sumerian sound with the, and then they go with the clean vocals, and now everybody's doing the clean vocals because that's the Sumerian thing, right? And hey, it makes sense, and the albums that are coming out of it are great. But I'm hoping that bands listen to Good Tiger and like take some of what they're doing oh i want to incorporate that because Mm. it's it's so many good ideas so many good ideas and so many like uh why didn't i think of that moments you know on this album so it's it's pretty great and they make they make catchy hooks sound easy yeah you know well and it's sort of that that post metal thing right it's not the it's not gent it's not this it's not that it doesn't really have a home it's it's something that's um it, it, you could call it progressive because it doesn't really have anything else other than that that says this is what it is. So it almost has to be that in a way, but yep. but I think it's um I think that's kind of a misnomer just to lump it in with progressive metal or something like that, you know. So it, oh, it's, definitely can't. Yeah, and kudos to Doc Coyle and and you know pumping the uh, post metal. Uh, 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 paddle there. Well, we we gotta we gotta <laughs> get article VH1. We gotta get yeah. him on about, about that because I think that I do think that's some bullshit actually because that, because that's like call, <laughs> that's like hey by the way we're looking at this thing that's been here for the past fifteen years oh no shit you know it's like well everything is post metal of some kind I mean it really is so I mean if you want to call it post metal core post this metal core post doom metal core, I mean it's all. Whatever you know, so I mean, hey, support the Vegas Nerve uh, 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 crowdfunding thing, so he can add to the post metal thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, and uh, and yeah, we'll get. I want to get him on. We'll play one. Of, we'll play that song here eventually, man. For him before the end of the Kickstarter campaign, for sure, man. But that, this episode of the Metal Slicks podcast is brought to you by Black Sabbath's The End Tour. Uh, now it ends. The final tour by the greatest metal band of all time, Black Sabbath. Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler close out the final chapter and the final volume of the incredible Black Sabbath story. For full dates and ticket information, visit LiveNation.com. And, you know, we had Ozzy here in Texas just this week uh, so that he could piss on the Alamo again. It was kind of cool. Well, actually, I don't think that's why. He was apologizing again. But, dude, he had already asked forgiveness for that because otherwise they wouldn't have let Ozfest back in San Antonio. Yeah. Like, they kicked him out of San Antonio because of that. Like, they wouldn't let him back. And he had to to apologize. So this was, like, I think an official apology, like, to the Daughters of the Revolution or something or or whatever. (laughs) So I, I wonder, you know, Sabbath may be back in San Antonio at some point. But also, if you want do you to learn, think, like, how to- Ozzy on this tour will like do like one more thing just to, just to cement his legacy. So that way, his legacy isn't that he he apologized for everything. Instead, mm. like he went out with a bang. You know, yeah, he wasn't going to go back to San Antonio anyway. You he know, could bite the head off Sharon or something. That'd be kind of fine. That'd be fine with me. <laughs> hey, uh, but also, uh, Metal Six Podcast brought to you by Creative Live. If you want to learn how to record music, check out our friends at Creative Live. We've got classes on engineering, mixing, mastering, all taught by uh, your favorite artists, whether it's Dillinger's K Plan, Periphery, Converge. Between the Bear to Me, creativelive.com slash audio to learn more, watch some free previews, and catch Kurt Ballou's Fix It in the Mix coming up November 24th 
you know, you might have heard of that dude. He's uh, pretty awesome from God City Studios and put out a couple of records that you might like. Yeah, you might want to check it out and how to learn how to it's fix funny, your four like, track. When, I, when they first announced it, I was like, I wonder if that's like 300 bucks or 400 bucks. I wonder how much they're charging for it. And then I see today, it's free. Freaking free. It's crack. It's amazing. It's crack, dude. Oh. They give you the first tastes free, and then you're like, you're addicted, man. Yeah. Right. It's 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 like from 9 till 4 Pacific Standard Time, just, you know, just plan on being there. It's the it's the shiznit. I, what do you got to lose, goddammit? <laughs> right. Other than your shitty guitar tone. Come on. <laughs> Fix it in the mix, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what the hell? Oh, we were going to talk about this folk metal thing, right? Uh, being yeah. racist and sexist, sort of, according to Emperor Rambas. Uh, well, actually, not according to him, according to uh, somebody from Leeds Beckett University who did a study about um, yeah, European Scandinavian folk metal bands. I think it kind of posted on or specifically uh, was focused on Tear and Teresa's, I think, is they're the two bands that they kind of focused on. And uh, basically, everything is about white males of Scandinavian descent and everybody else sucks. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. <laughs> you know what? Is that the takeaway? I don't know. I, if that, I don't know if that's the takeaway or not. You know, like uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with the guy. I got to tell you, if you go, so picture this. You know, get, take a minute here because you, you go to a show, right? You go to a folk metal show, yeah, and you are a minority, or you know, uh, yeah, a minority in any country. It doesn't matter. And you go to see this band. Perhaps you're even female, and you see the bunch of white bearded dudes celebrating their history and you got the an audience filled with dudes raising their beers and and having a fun time I, does that make me feel included i don't think so it feels pretty exclusionary yeah and i think that at the core that's really what he's going at and i think that the words racist and sexist perhaps perhaps have a different meaning to those of us who are reading his study than those words mean to him. Does that make sense? Well, from what I gather, like the the excerpt from uh, his name is uh, Professor Professor Carl Spracklin, uh, and it's a, published in a journal called Metal uh, Metal Music Studies on Gender, Race, and Class. Uh, the thing is, is that there nowhere in his uh, in this quote that was in here was there the words racist or or sexist really it just sort of implies the fact that it's that it's the same uh, it's about passion that metal fans have for it it's geared toward metal it's masculine it's about uh, the you know the predominance of the masculine idea in the world of men um and you know that kind of thing you know which i i kind of i get i get where you're coming from i see that right and especially being a white european male of scandinavian descent with a big beard and you know i i'm one of those I, they're my people right so that's that's where i come from i feel at home i feel like it's inclusionary personally i think it you know brings me in you know and i know well, brings you in yeah i know so what's what's the problem with everybody else man <laughs> <laughs> Just because the no, just because the Vikings conquered, killed, raped, and destroyed your people so many years ago, doesn't mean <laughs> that that you know they got to be like you know PC now, man. I mean, come on. I mean, you th- you see in the folk metal scene, there's people who freak out when you sing in English, you know, True. let alone 
would they freak out if you hired a Mexican guy to play drums? <laughs> I doubt it. You bet you. I doubt you it. Bet they would. I don't think that most would. of them probably would. There's so that. much focus on. Well, you know why nobody would freak out is because no band would try it. That's why. <laughs> well, <laughs> they wouldn't even try. That's because they don't and know any Mexicans. There's no. I mean, like in Scandinavia. I mean, come on, you man. Know what I'm saying? No, you know what I'm saying. Well, but come on, man. I mean, the thing to me is the the difference is I think it's about the themes and stuff that they are taught that they talk about in their music whether it's you know the i the identity of that particular race in the particular time and when they're singing about um when they're singing about that that sort of era whether it's tales of vikings and and wildebeests and you know conquering uh, you know killing all the irish or whatever you know i think that that really is what sounds sort of racist and sexist in a weird way but in the end it's really kind of the way that that history was, you know, with these songs and a lot of these traditional things that came out of that that period were about uh, they were motivators for those men that were going off to battle, that were going out to, to to conquer parts of the world that had never been conquered before. So you're talking about people that were gone for four five, six months out of the year. And they were trying to be motivated and, and you know, spirited. And this was their their battle yeah, songs. Yeah. You got like a couple bands could really explore that. When you've got an entire scene exploring the same ideas at this, at a certain point, it's not only redundant, but at a certain point, you're celebrating a culture more than just, you know, uh, being historically accurate, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I'm about to go to like Oktoberfest. I'm, I'm, I'm about to celebrate 12 days worth of sausage, right? And I can tell you there's 50 fucking bands that play the same goddamn Oompa songs over and over again, and they're celebrating the German heritage. Now, if you want to talk about like a heritage that, you know, may or may not be mm, offensive to certain races and or religions around the world. The German heritage could be construed in a lot of different ways. So it's, but there's all these different bands that are doing the same thing, right? It's just a different style of music. This is metal that's just, it's traditional, you know, Viking type Scandinavian music that's turned into metal. And I think there's so many stories and so much history, the history there that they could explore that for years. And there could be dozens and dozens and dozens of bands explore it. And they're never going to cover the entire history. Dude, even Niles grown bored of talking about Egyptian history. <laughs> well, that's, one because, band. that's because Niles like from the East Coast of the United States. They're not from fucking Egypt. Yeah, there's not like a hundred other bands, you know, celebrating Egyptian cult metal culture. I mean, that just doesn't happen. That's because there's you know, like be no more Egypt right now. I mean, you know, I mean, well, not we're not talking about right now. We're talking about a history. Well, there's but, plenty but of dude, Egyptian it, history. But if you're talking about the Middle East, you're talking about a place that also vilifies metal in general as as a thing. So you can't really when when it's when it's Scandinavia, it's Sweden, it's Norway, it's the it's Northern European. They celebrate metal. They have the fucking emoji, right? I mean, come on, they've got they've got metal in their blood. So that's really part of their history. When you're talking about the Middle East, it's rare because it's rare to find metal in that era or area. So I mean, how many Egyptian metal bands do you know? Like real Egyptian metal bands, not Nile. I'm not not these white dudes that are singing about Egypt, <laughs> uh, you know. Like when you're talking about a Krasikata, you're talking about Orphan Land, you're talking about uh, Melikesh. You're you know, there's very few Malakash. bands that are in that area that are really singing about those themes. So 
And if there are, they may be really underground. I think maybe if that religion were different and treated things differently and they had a little bit more freedom, you might see more of that culture being celebrated in a different way. Uh, eh? What do you think about this whole idea of like the, the, that, that it's exclusionary to women? Well, now, okay, well, you know, <laughs> so... They, they they like their women. They Whoops, do. sorry about that. Second response. I dropped my pencil. Can you pick that up real quick? Um, <laughs> shit. Well, okay. So it's also historical, right? You know. So I mean, it's a, a period of time. Uh, I don't know that I see it as being that exclusionary to women because I see a lot of women that really enjoy that music, right? Um, Definitely. That being said. That culture was not one that thought poorly of their women. You know, the women were not really second class citizens compared to a lot of European nations for years. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the the Viking women basically had to take care of the family and take care of the the village for the months while the men were out hunting. So those women had to defend themselves, had to be able to hunt, had to be able to you know do what all the men did while they were gone for months at a time you know raping and pillaging across the europe so i think the women in that culture are actually stronger than most women around the entire fucking world so and i think you see that in shows like vikings and that and they kind of try to show you that idea that there were women in that especially even for that time period were more on a on an even playing field with men than anywhere else in the entire world so to say that it's sexist you know, I think it may just be implied in a certain way. And I think that's the when they're saying it's sexist is sexist against like, you know, European women or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, uh, they were conquering everybody, man. <laughs> it was one of those. Yeah. I mean, well, the, there's the, a reason the, why the, like Spaniards it, have beards, you know, <laughs> in history. I get that they celebrated women. But do you get the sense that they're really doing that in folk metal? Uh, well, I mean, what was the last time I read anything in Scandinavian? I don't know, you know. I'll t- I t- well, I, 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 to get ready for this, I was reading through, God, God damn it, I can't believe I did it, reading through lyrics of a handful of folk metal bands oh, really? that were referred to in the article, right? Yeah. Bring it. And I got to I gotta tell you, that, like I'm reading, um, uh, is it Tear or Tire? Yeah, Tire. Tear. 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 Uh, they got this, uh, their, their album from a couple of years ago called, uh, was it v- Valkyrja? Something like that? Valkyrie? <laughs> oh, God. Something like that. Keep, keep you're, you're worse at this than I am. Oh, my God. So, like, anyway, they, the lyrics are all about, like, I massacre a bunch of people and then I won the woman. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I killed the husband and she's crying, on, uh, his wife is crying on my shoulder. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's like, I don't know if I'd say this is really sex positive for women, but then again, <laughs> how often do I go to a metal lyric sheet of any subgenre for some sex positive lyrics about the opposite gender? It just well, doesn't happen. But they're also not talking about they're not talking about their women. They're talking about other people's women, and that's different. You know, I mean that 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 they, they, that when it's it's that whole idea of history, right? You know, the idea that they would conquer conquer a village, rape and pillage. You know, it's it's what it's what that's what they did at the time. So it's kind of and that's what I'm talking about. It's like that was the reward. Is that sexist in today's world? Like if they were to go and destroy a village and rape all the women? Yes, that's sexist and evil. Now, in the in the uh, you know way back in history, uh, that was kind of par for the course, was it not? I mean, it doesn't make it right. I guess I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know how do you judge something that is thousands of years old? You know, I mean, when you really when you really try to put it in perspective with today's glasses, you just can't. You know. 
Yeah, 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 that's true because no society was particularly good, no. you know, a couple thousand years ago. You know, that's it's just they all were terrible, you know. Um, but but now, if you were to dabble in that in a handful of songs, that's one thing. But when an entire scene grows around grows around the idea, at a certain point, you kind of go. Uh, well, really, the different the guys? difference is is that uh, that I think the people that come into a scene like that that becomes part of your tribe, right? So the idea is is that if you you're in there you're celebrating that music you are part of their their world no matter what color no matter what shape no matter what gender you know you're part of the party and you're part of the thing the part of the celebration and i think that's where it gets inclusive and it's about everybody else outside the outside of that room kind of thing you know what i'm saying so as long as you're not mexican and play drums yeah well well, no i think i think you'd probably be fine in that regard you just need to make sure that you have a beard and uh and and a mama marth t-shirt you'll be all right I doubt it. <laughs> but I think I think no way. But you know what I'm saying? I think the whole thing is, is that if if you are part of the group, then you become part of the strength, right? And and I think that may be kind of where that comes from. And it's all just kind of party celebration because these are the celebratory songs and the celebrations that they would have when they would come home from the big you know conquering europe and the, the right i mean am i getting that wrong i mean i think i think that's kind of how that worked i think it's all right but you know like i'm taking you know the new prime minister of canada basically uh like we installed this whole new cabinet and like almost exactly 50 percent women right yeah. and when they asked him what the hell did you why'd you do that because it's, it's, it's 2015 yeah. and i'm just saying that perhaps all the folk metal bands right now ought to dump the bassist and hire a chick that's all i'm saying it would so do such a good do such good for the whole scene and for everybody if they would do that. I mean, it's a useless position anyway. Maybe they can work themselves up beyond basis to a, you know a position that matters. But I you know start there you know get in and then and then maybe you know become vocalist or something. I have yet to see a dude that can pull off the pan flute and look awesome. So I think I think typically what you wind up That's with true. with uh, you know the, with the women playing in the band, you got the violinist, you got like a you got a lot of important instruments that are in there. Who's man we saw were you were you there the, haggard haggard that's what it was it was like yeah. nine members or whatever of a backing vocalist uh, and you know the stand-up bass and all of it was you know it was like half women in, in that band so i mean yeah, but they I, had the, like that really tall good-looking uh uh background male background singer so yeah. like you know all the chicks wanted to be in a band with him you know well that's that's which way to do it. Well, but I think that there's almost like two two like facets to the folk metal scene. There's the the folk metal folk that <laughs> take it way too seriously, and that's their thing, and they're trying to stay true with a V and all that. Yeah. But then there's the other part of the scene that are just like this is fun and party music, and that's great. Well, you know? I mean, come on, man. I mean, it used to you could say the same thing about like uh, like hard the hardcore scene, right? You know, it is sort of the same idea as that. There's some people in the hardcore scene who see this as a white supremacist and thing that for white people, skinheads to celebrate and be this, this, this. But actually, it's over here, and it's it's really about people that are empowering themselves to become to rise up against the the oppression of, of the rich and blah 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 blah. You know, so you can see it two different ways depending upon how you decide to frame that whatever. Of course, you're going to have fucking racist and ignorant people that are in a scene. Doesn't matter which scene it is, death metal, black metal viking metal it, all of them have got those in it it doesn't matter there's yeah. going to be kind of well, purists in yeah. everything and then absolutely we talked about it a little bit last week all scenes really need to work harder to to be more inclusionary 
Well, and and you know, there's gonna be some crazies in every fucking scene. It's just gonna that's just kind of how it goes. So well, but most of most people in this scene are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> I said maybe. See, I'll tell you. I think maybe mo- I'm just one of the most uh, fun metal shows I've ever seen. One of the most fun metal shows I've ever seen, and with the crowd going wild of both genders, and perhaps some that are you know both somewhere genders. in between and Saphir- yeah and Saphirum, man. oh yeah i mean yeah. freaking party you know well and i mean and dude uh, i'm i'm probably in a position where i shouldn't and cannot really speak to this because i'm part of the i'm part of the party you know like i like i'm one of the i'm a member of the band so or you know i can't i'm i i am about as viking metal as it gets when you look at me so i mean uh yeah that's a, that's like white people saying saying white people aren't racist it's like no i'm uh, oh shit damn it i'm one of them so <laughs> it's like it's kind of hard for me to speak to it in some in some cases so because i feel like i'm defending it uh, and, and it may be i may be completely wrong because i see it from my perspective you know what i'm saying so it's it's sort of weird i feel weird yeah, about it it's it, it, it yeah i, I love, get it I love, you have I love, a really hard time being empathetic to people who are not your gender or, or race i love women <laughs> i do I love them. I think they're awesome, and they're the best thing ever, and we need more of them in the metal scene. So I don't want anybody to be sexist and or racist to anyone, uh, right. but at the same time, uh, songs about, you know, killing the Irish are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, like, maybe we need to, like, set the, like, new a new level on our uh, Patreon. Like, if we hit a certain amount, then we're going to hire a chick to be the third on the show you know something like that you uh, know we wanna, so, so that we we're putting our mo- money where our mouth is you know oh uh, we, we we get a we get a female on this show uh we're both getting phased out it'll be over man so just just, just <laughs> yeah, so you know exactly. that as i said if i had boobs i would have conquered the world years ago all right we're gonna wrap this show up man thank you to chris jericho uh for being our guest this week much appreciated and uh make sure that you uh check us out in all the relevant places whether it's itunes you can find us there search metal sucks podcast leave us a couple of stars tell us that we suck you can also find us on stitcher and all over the place uh, just search metal sucks podcast and of course metal sucks.net every monday that's when we post it you can find us on social media i am at bearded ape i'm at godless speaks if you want to support us you can find us on patreon as well go to patreon.com slash chuck and godless or chuck and godless.com and maybe chip thank in a you, couple of bucks you, thank you thank you to all of our early adopters uh, you've gotten a few special things here and there and more of that to come because yeah oh i can chuck and we put up like uh that first episode of my reasonable review that's not of the striper uh conversation can we do that this you, week you could give it to me again because i have no idea where it okay. is so yeah yeah we could do that right, cool we could do All that right, cool, uh, cool. also we've got some of our i've got more of our original episodes of our original podcast that we did from like three and a half four years ago oh, which are kind of so fun man. so uh where i'm even more self-deprecating than i am now so that'll be that's even more fun i think you'll enjoy it so uh, make sure that you check all that stuff out and uh, check out and you know maybe support us a little bit here and there. So till next week, I am Chuck. I'm Godless, and this is another episode of the Metal Sucks Podcast. Metal sucks.